Hello, I'm Jatinder Hartrawal. I'm the chair of the RPS Hospital Excerpt Advisory Group. And today I'm going to share some of the agenda items uh, for our December meeting. So today we've been discussing a number of really interesting topics. We heard from Anne Black, Regional QA Specialist Pharmacist for North East North Cumbria. And Anne has been leading on developing guidance for advanced therapy medicinal products, which are being used all across the country. What was really clear listening to Anne is that the whole agenda for ATIMPS is now growing and will continue to grow in the coming years. And whereas at the moment it's seen as a quite specialist service, we know this is going to affect most hospitals and will become, I think, mainstream a lot more as these get developed. So a really exciting area, some fabulous work being led by Anne as part of the UK group. But also, I would just urge people listening to this podcast to please log on to SPS services, contact and through the regional QA group and through the RPS, where we've got endorsed guidelines that are available for everybody to use when they are using ATIMPS in their own hospitals. We've also heard today um, lots of really interesting conversations from staff uh, and and the RPS uh, HEAG members regarding some of the challenges that we are seeing in practice. And one thing that the HEAG group is going to look at with some of the leads across the country is how do we develop the roles of our pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and challenge some of the current boundaries that exist in how we operate. And we're going to start leading a piece of work which is going to explore that further. But we can't do that really without acknowledging and and really understanding some of the pressures that a lot of our pharmacists are feeling in hospital at the moment. So the the pressures on, on just flow and just trying to meet increasing demand with capacity issues is a real concern. And I'm really delighted that I've got Dr. Ralia Anatadi with me, Chief Pharmacist from Bart's Health. And, uh, and Ralia, if I was going to ask you about how this is feeling in one of the largest trusts in Europe in terms of flow and pressure, and the pressure that brings onto your your hospital pharmacy system. How's that feeling for staff, and what are we doing about it, or what else can we do about it? So, so what has struck me, especially as part of our discussions today, is that those, those parallel pressures, there's the day-to-day operational pressures of getting your patients in, getting them treated, and treating them safely. And then there's the increasing workload and sophistication of the medicine's governance needs, Mm. which means that you're continually having to think about how to keep medicines as a whole safe. And there's the work here, there's the work that's coming through the ATMPs and how and what that's going to mean, because there's a definite um, responsibility put on pharmacy for pharmacy mm-hmm. for that. There's lots of issues around pharmacy governance, safe and secure storage of medicines, mm-hmm. lots of regulatory pressures, and we have to deal with those, and th- those aren't going away. Yeah. The CQC isn't going away, MHRA isn't going away. We have to do all of those things in order to make sure that we um, that, we, that we practice safely. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the you know, winter pressures comes along all the time and in fact in some some ways you can say that it's not just a winter pressure it's a continual pressure and you know the demand for hospital care and the unmet need is increasing and increasing and actually there's it's it's really is relentless I think if you talk to colleagues within secondary care we all say that it's quite relentless it's still really rewarding but um there is, it, it's just expanding, it's exponential. Really, it is. So and, I, and I do wonder, we, we heard today from Tracy Rogers, who's a member of HEAG and is one of the Associate Directors for Specialist Pharmacy Services, how, how they're trying to help 
avoid duplication, even down to how we use um, things like PGDs yeah. and having the, the do once program where you can have wherever possible national PGDs so we're not duplicating efforts and people can adopt those locally all helps in trying to save time but we've got to also acknowledge as we also discussed today there's a real drive to meet regulatory standards hospital pharmacy standards trying to make sure patients medicines are reconciled within 24 hours and often trying to develop advanced practice roles whether it's ATIMPS or whether it's just becoming more advanced clinical advanced. practitioners yeah. and when we're doing that if we don't change how we work as a pharmacy system and, and challenge, you know, even when we have our pharmacist prescribers and having second checks in place for some of those is a question and a, and, a, and a challenge we've given to each other to say, do we need to also rethink what systems we have in place to support junior doctors with prescribing with what we put in place for advanced clinical pharmacy yeah. prescribers? Because we do know the rates of errors are a lot lower with our prescribing pharmacists compared to junior doctors and yet we still have exactly the same governance and double checks in place that don't seem to sit in terms of adding value and that's something I think we've also got to rethink um, and then it's about how do you target your resources to where they're most needed and, and really as a chief pharmacist in an organisation that's got so many challenges how, how do you approach that? question <laughs> yes <laughs> no, so I think it's, it's, a very, it's a very valid question and you, re you really do need a strategy for it mm. but it's lots of different sources it's almost as if you know you have to have your sentinel mm. and the triggers and having the right staff around you is important yes. as well as making sure that actually you put some purpose and thought into what you're doing and why why you're you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I suppose for, for me there there's there's certainly something about actually making sure that I understand what's happening within the organization. Yeah. And that goes back to actually the discussion we were having around um, benchmarking, understanding yes. practices, because if you've got your metrics and your data, yes. then you can use those to have it to have an indication of where you need to put a bit more attention. Mm. But at the same time, pulling on the um, resources and the guidance that's available, whether it's from specialist pharmacy services, and a lot of that, the information they put out is so useful, and guidance from the RPS as well, mm. just using that the information that's out there rather than duplicating mm. does, does reduce workload um, a lot. Mm. But chief pharmacists now have always got to be on their guard, really, and really think quite purposefully about how do you know what's happening and where's your information mm. com coming from and recognising where the risks are and the gaps are within the, within the service. Yes. I do think that the move towards more systems working yes. is, a, is, is going to be a big um, benefit so that we're not thinking, we're thinking about how we're going to work in partnership mm -hmm. and working in partnership then helps you make the whole system safer. And you don't have to focus so much on that purchaser-provider split. That takes a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think that, that will I help. Think, I think so. But it's, it's definitely always a balancing act. And you can't do it without the right staff around you. Mm -hmm. And that, again, plays into where, you, where, where are you adding value mm -hmm. and making sure that you're directing your staff and your efforts to the most important things mm. and building up your, your, your staff mm. so that they are working to the top of their license mm. and not and including your, all your, your support staff as well as mm. your other pharmacy professionals. Yes, no, I'd agree with that. And, and you know, one thing we're trying to do through HEAG is widen the conversation so it's not just pharmacist focused, we're trying to mm. focus it 
with all the pharmacy professionals yes. who influence how we deliver our services. And to that effect, we will look at our membership in HEAG. But also through the RPS, you know, the RPS are really supporting us to help to support them in understanding some of the pressures in hospital pharmacy. And uh, this group is trying to identify those, maybe help challenge some of the current ways of working, but linking up, not just across systems, but across everyone from medicines optimization, CRGs to NHS England and ourselves and our GPHC. So to work collectively, so we're not duplicating effort, but we're supporting each other in trying to, A, understand what the pressures are and the opportunities and thinking about how best we can support the profession to moving that forward. Uh, and there's two bits I'm just going to end on in this um, in this podcast. Is, uh, is One is working with the chief executive here at the RPS, um, Paul, to, to go out and visit some hospital sites, and he's been doing that. And, we're going, and in the new year, I will sit with him to start looking at him visiting some of the new systems, integrated care systems you just described, Ralia, and you know, getting to be exposed to those and think about the new ways of working for pharmacy professionals, not just hospital pharmacy, but also encourage people and just signpost. We heard um, just a bit about the RPS mentoring scheme as well and uh, where mentees and, and mentors are, you know, we're trying to give good support to a range of people, but predominantly our junior pharmacist workforce. And, uh, and I've got Chris John here. And Chris, I was going to ask you from the RPS point of view, any comments on how the mentoring scheme currently has been set up and also where you'd like to see that develop further? So the RPS mentoring platform was launched in October. We've had hundreds of people sign up to be a mentor or a mentee, and it's really encouraging people to sign up now so we can match people together as a mentee or a mentor. You can be both if you want. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mentees should be leading the process, discussing whatever they want to discuss, whether it's about leadership, career development, Mm -hmm. their practice, some of the issues we've just been discussing about pressure at work may be useful things to bring mm. up with mm. your mentor if you're mm. particularly wanting to address those issues. So we just want to encourage people to, to sign up and we will do our best to match people together as quickly as possible. And I suppose just to, to end on that note, for me, as we hear about the pressures that fancy teams are, are experiencing in their day jobs and that need for supporting ourselves and each other, and that compassionate leadership becomes even more important. And for me, getting behind initiatives like the mentoring scheme are one way of, of supporting each other as we go through these challenging times. I hope that's been useful yeah. as a um, as a summary of what we've been going through here today. And I hope you found this podcast useful as well. Thank you.